Don't tell me that you value nutrition when you're buying Domino's pizza. I'm not here to judge any of it. I don't care. Personally, it's your life. I honor your choices. You want to eat packet food. I have family members. That's all they eat. Fantastic. Go for it. But don't bull yourself and certainly don't try and me by telling me your values. Your values are demonstrated by how you live. That's when you learn to go and you shut up. Speak it if you can live it. Speak it if you're aspiring to live it. You don't have to be perfect. I'm sure you're not perfect in your environmental behavior, but you are actively doing it every single day, doing something towards that. That is personal leadership. There is no leadership of another until you can do personal leadership. Many of the leaders in the world have massive titles and they're awful because they can't demonstrate leadership by how they live. This is what it takes. So your values are exactly the same thing. How are you demonstrating them? Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. You will not forget this conversation. Dove brings his full self emotionally, especially starting about 20 minutes from the start. I guarantee that you will hear a way that you want to be And Dove shares stories from his life so you can hear he was not always this open and you will hear how you can become that way. This conversation for me marked a before and after in how I had these conversations and these recordings. He left me speechless several times. You will hear how to bring your full self, your soul to everything that you do. He also took up one of the more challenging personal challenges that I've heard and you'll hear how it connects very deeply to his life. So let's listen to Dove. Hey, Jim. Hey there. How you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? I'm great. So either way, calling, I think, would have worked. And as I set this up, actually, every single conversation I've had on Skype since our recording, I think, oh, they're looking up my nose, which I'm sure you say to everyone. <laughs> well, only if the camera's aimed from where it is right now. This one is going to be audio only once we start recording. Sure. So I did not do that, but I have started having stuff to put, you know, so it could be up like this. And so I apologize for as we are now, I'm backlit, so you can't quite see me. I guess I look like a kind of shadowy figure. Yeah, you look like you might be from some bad guy movie. Yeah, like a Stephen King, like the... uh, Yeah, you just got to do the voice, man. (laughs) Hello. Exactly. (laughs) I'm your father. (laughs) I am the voice of your dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're good at that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I used to do voiceover in my 20s. So when I was setting this up, I was thinking... Should I get so I'm not backlit and so it's properly done because Dove knows that like it matters. But I thought maybe we'll start on audio only and actually go to video. So I apologize to be uh, this shadowy figure. Sorry, mate. Whatever works is fine for you. It's your podcast. You do whatever you want to do. Okay. So um, the recording started automatically, like as soon as it started. And 
there's one person that we were in the conversation and we just said, let's just go. Like I said, it's already recording. He said, let's just go. And then someone else, I just said, we started. And I said, look, it's recording. Do you want to go from this? And you want to just continue? Absolutely. Actually, or maybe it's a little too weird. <laughs> you say I am the voice of your dark side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think an interesting idea for a podcast would be like the, the pre and post podcast conversation podcast. Because yeah. it often, I've said this before, I think it like, I think there's this really casual conversation that happens before. And then sometimes it gets really formal and awkwardly so. And then afterward, it gets comfortable again. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that gets lost by not doing that part. Yeah. I mean, that's why part of the reason I do my pre-chat with people is to get them really comfortable with me and my personality so that when we actually do have the conversation and, you know, that's gotten more difficult now because people are waiting three, four months to get on the show. Mm -hmm. So that familiarity has gone away a little. Uh, yeah. But I try to spend three, four five minutes beforehand for exactly that reason. You're absolutely right. It's, you know, because people get weird. And, and that's why I would say, please, if you come on my show, please don't do shtick. Because I will cut you off. Because it's a conversation. That's it. Yeah. You know, and you've got your expertise. Let's do that. But that's great. But not shtick. So let's continue then. Sure. <laughs> so while we're talking, I'm going to put it over so you're not looking up my nose. And so people who are listening to this now, when you do a podcast with Dove, he, in the pre-talk, he'll point out that he does video. And you're going to see, he said to me, I'm sure you said that to, like, that's your thing to, you said to lots of people, right? Or is it just me? Well, I say it's a lot of people if their camera's low. Like, now it's good. I can see you. Yeah. The handsome face of Joshua. <laughs> the light is not blurring. And I'm not looking up your nose because I actually don't need to know whether you have sinus issues. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for people who don't know what's going on, this is the Leadership in the Environment podcast. It's Joshua Spodak here with Dove Barron. And obviously, he and I know each other. And actually, not, not that long. It's, to me, it was reading your book is what made the difference is that said this on your podcast, but I'll say this on mine, that I started reading it like many people. I've read dozens. I don't think I've read a hundred leadership books, but I've, I've read a lot. Mm -hmm. And it didn't start off with a bang. It wasn't like um, Metamorphosis starts off with a bang. You know, Gregor Samson woke up morning, Monstrous Vermin. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to be on the guy's podcast. I better read this. And like partway through, I'm like, wow, this is really, this is stuff most people don't share mm -hmm. about themselves. This is very vulnerable and vulnerability and intimacy I consider extremely important for leadership. If you want to have a team that produces and can depend on each other and not just the stuff about yourself, because the stuff about Prime Minister Hawk from Australia yep. and the things that you wrote about Ivan, I'm not going to get his, Shulimard from Patagonia, Patagonia yeah. led me to do tons of research on him. And so you know, most books don't get me to change my behavior. At the early stage they did and yours did. And it told me about you. And so first, I, what got you to write that way? That's a really good question. I'll tell you why it's a great question, because back in 1992, I hadn't written any books. Well, that's not true. I had, somebody had contrived a, a quote book of my personal quotes, but I hadn't actually written any books. And a very good friend of mine came to visit me from Australia, and he said, where's your book? And I'm like, what book? And he goes, my point exactly, uh -huh. where's your book? And I'm like, I can't write a book. And he goes, why the hell not? And I go... I'm crap at grammar and my spelling's worse than my grammar. So I can't write. And he goes, do you know these mystical creatures who live underneath, not bridges, but guess where? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, he says, do you know who they are? And I said, no, he goes, they're called editors. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you don't have to be any good at, at, at grammar or spelling. And so I wrote this initial book, which actually was a novella. So it was not a how-to, it was a story. And I wrote this novella, it's still out there somewhere, um, which actually sold very, very well. 
It was horribly grammatically wrong, and the cover was ugly as all sin, but it, I sold 3,000 copies just walking it around in the pre-internet days, and people really liked the book. And what I, that, Wait, it was crap, but people liked it. It was crap. In, it wasn't the spelling made it. Yeah, grammatically it was awful. The cover was ugly, but there was a wonderful story. You know, it was it was called the spiritual comedy, and it was about you know a guy who'd gone through a lot of struggle in his life and finding his own purpose in his life. But I wrote the book, and then after that, somebody said, "Well, you know, you should write a how-to." And I started to write this, and I hated it. I mean, the first book I wrote in a weekend, literally Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not the entire book, but the skeleton of it. The next one, I slogged over for months because I was trying to write it quote, right. Mm-hmm. And I realized, and I talked to my friend, the friend from Australia, and he said, Dove, do you know anybody who doesn't like listening to you speak? And I said, I'm sure there are a lot of people. And he goes, everybody I know loves hearing you talk and the stories and all the things. And I go, uh-huh. He goes, why don't you just write like that? And then I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I saw this training on writing copywriting. And that was where writing was going. And I suddenly went, oh, my God. That's what I do. Copywriting is conversational writing. And so I began to write in that style. And my first my first big book was called Don't Read This, Your Ego Won't Like It. Uh-huh. It was about the ego and how the ego mind works. And everybody who read that book said to me, it feels like you're in the room with me talking to me. And, it, and what I realized from that is if I don't do that with a ton of vulnerability and reveal myself, then it's, it's talking at. And as you know, it's part of my... Leadership philosophy is vulnerability is the most powerful thing you can have, but you've got to be willing to have the courage to do that with yourself. And so I write that way. And I think it endears people and makes them realize that I'm not on a pedestal. I've been on one of those things and I fell and it hurt a lot. And I'd rather be human and, and present with people. Okay. So a big thing for me in what I'm trying to do here, I mean, there's the environment part, which we'll get to in a minute, but accessibility. I think a lot of people listen to people that they look up to because they want to emulate them. They want to become like them sure. and they're going to have, but they're not there yet. And so they're going to have inhibitions or fears or other interests and so forth. Was it easy for you? Were you always this way? I mean, you said that the first book you wrote came out, that was the weekend book. Yep. The next one, you felt like I'm supposed to do it a certain way or you did it that wasn't you speaking authentically. Right. Was it hard to get back to authentic or was it easy to return was it a challenge or was it natural for you or, or, or what? Something different? Well, it was a challenge because in my head was how it should be versus the truth of who I am. And so the challenge, I think, is that's a challenge not in writing. I think it's a challenge in life is that we got in our head how we it should be versus who we are. I got asked to speak in India recently. I speak around the world, as you know, Joshua. And the, the gentleman I was speaking to said, oh, well, we will need you to wear a tie and we will need you to take out your earrings. And I said, that's great. Then you don't need me. I don't mm-hmm. wear ties at all. And I don't take out my earrings, not because of anything, that, but they're just part of me. And, it, you know, if you're hiring me, you want me not some diluted version of me. And it's not arrogance and it's not anything else. It's like, this is what you get. So somebody's saying, well, we don't want you to talk about that. Well, that's what I talk about. You don't want me to be this? Well, that's who I am. So I think there's always that internal battle between what we should do versus what we are. I have a, an amazing story about that from when I started in my speaking career. May I share? Before you share that, there's something I got to ask is that are you able to do that because you've reached a certain stage or did you reach a certain stage because you're able to do that? Or because a lot of people feel like I certainly feel like if I'm going to like 
yesterday, no, Wednesday, today's Friday. So Wednesday, I had a big full day coaching session at this company. And even though it's an engineering place and they have, you know, no one there is wearing a jacket, but I still wore a collared shirt with a jacket mm-hmm. because I wanted to look proper. Sure. I feel comfortable in it. I didn't feel like I was faking me, but, you know, I would have been probably a little more comfortable not wearing that. But I wanted, you know, it was my first full day there. Right. So I wouldn't have done what you did. Now, am I holding myself back? Am I like, and a lot, I think a lot of people probably listening are thinking, yeah, you can do that. Right. But I can't. But again, we're back to this same thing around what you should and versus who you are. So, you know, if there's any part of you that feels like you're betraying who you are, then I would suggest don't do it. I want to tell you that story because it really will answer that question. Okay, great. When I started speaking 34 years ago, and I'm only 36, so that's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) 34 years ago, a friend of mine invited me to speak, and I knew him because I owned another business and he was actually a client of mine. And we'd have these great philosophical conversations. And one day he came in and he said to me, I want you to come speak to my national manager's meeting. He owned a national menswear company. And I said, about what? And he goes, anything you want. And I'm like, what do you mean, anything I want? He goes, we have these great conversations. I want you to come talk to them. And I go, he goes, you're always very insightful. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not really a speaker. And he goes, no, I know. And I go, how long do you want me to speak? And he's like, an hour. I'm like, whoa, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, now, and I was a warm up, but then it was like, freaked me out. And he goes, well, just 15, 20, 30 minutes. I said, okay. And he says, but I have a condition. I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. Because this is a national menswear company in the 1980s. They got the tight, you know, suit. They got the suits on, the, the button down shirts, the tie. You know, it's very Wall Street looking. Okay, so not Don Johnson looking. Could have been that too. It could have been that too. It wasn't Miami device. <laughs> so he's like, okay. He says, this is how we look. Okay. And I'm like, um, so what do you want? What's the condition? He goes, I want you to turn up looking just like this. Uh-huh. Me, just how I was looking that day. Now, this was 1984. I started bodybuilding about five years before that, four or five years before that. When you're in your early 20s and you're a bodybuilder, I'm still a bodybuilder, but it's different. When you're in your early 20s and you're a bodybuilder, there's a tendency, certainly for me at least, to wear shirts that are too small uh-huh. so as to show off the physique. Yeah. Now my wife's, it's summertime, my wife's like, why don't you wear a t-shirt? I'm like, no, no, I don't, I work out for me. But uh-huh. back when I was in my twenties, it was about showing it up. And so that day he came in, I had a tight, tight t-shirt on. I had the, the tight jeans that were ripped across the knees. My hair was down to my chest, like the old, uh, what's his name? The, uh, Howard Stern hair, you know, the Louis the 13th uh-huh. hair. The designer stubble and earrings that were big enough that you could hang parrots off them. And he said, uh, I want you to come and look like that. And I'm like, but mate, you know, I've got suits because that's how I met him. He originally made my suits and I, cause I loved suits, but I uh-huh. also had this very casual side. He goes, no, I don't want you to wear a suit when you wear this. Okay. He says, when you show up, put your head in the door and just let them see you. He says, if I'm speaking, just wait and I'll call you in. I was like, he said, but make sure they can see you. I'm like, okay. And I go, can I put my hair in a ponytail? He goes, no, no, let it just be down. I'm like, this is weird. Okay. So I show up on the day I'm there and I put my head in the door and I can see these guys and they're giving me what we term in England as the bugger off nod. Means <laughs> it's like the head is going to the side to say, bugger off, get out uh, of uh-huh. the place. So they're trying to, and I can see that and they're looking like I'm clearly in the wrong room as far as they're concerned. And then Steve says, please welcome our speaker, Duff. And you know, it's like clunk as George <laughs> hit the desk. And I walk up. Now, I'll tell you that, you know, I'm looking at tight T-shirt, jeans, long hair, all the rest of it. And I walked walked up and I can tell you that I have no idea what I spoke about, but I can clearly remember what I spoke, what I did at the intro. 
This is the early 1980s in Australia. Racism was a big issue with the Aboriginal people. And I said, put your hand up if you're a racist. Now, you can imagine nobody in that room is going to put their hand up. And I said, put your hand up if you would judge people by the, the color of their skin or in any way the way they look. Nobody puts their hand up. And I said, you're a bunch of freaking liars. Every single one of you judged me based on how I look right now. You decided my intelligence. You decided my income. You decided whether I could possibly be a customer for you or if I have anything of meaning to offer. You decided all of that based on the way I look. And that's your problem because I actually am a customer. That's how I know Steve. And I look over at Steve and I think, okay, I've shit the bed on this one now. <laughs> or, and I look over, but instead Steve looks like his face has been slashed open because he's got a huge grin on his face. And he was mm-hmm. delighted with what I delivered. Did you know what you were going to say before you walked in? No clue. That's because of what happened. Yeah. You saw their expressions and, and commented on that. Okay. I just noticed. I paid attention and noticed. So I went, okay. So I did that. Steve was delighted. About two, three weeks later, Steve came in. He says to me, oh, I spoke to Alistair, another national uh, organization, and he said he'd really like you. told him what happened. He said he'd love you to come speak for them. I said, oh, great, fantastic. Now I'm kind of excited, right? And he goes, he wants you to do half an hour. Fabulous. So what do I do? I do my research. I start looking at speakers. I don't know anything about speakers. I start looking at speakers, looking at what they do, how they are, blah, 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 and immediately cut off all my hair shave off my beard, give myself a look that I will show you, Joshua, a photograph of me at some point in time. And everybody who looks at it thinks I look older then than I do now. I was 24 years, 23, 24 years old, and I look like a bad car salesman in a tight suit and tie and just not me. Now, what worked the first time? I was completely raw, completely authentic and totally vulnerable. I died a death the second time. The second presentation was awful. Yeah, because they, they were judging you against standards that you couldn't match, as opposed to your own standards. Well, I was I traded my authenticity mm. for mm. for something that should be. This because in the 1980s, speakers wore a blue suit, white shirt, red tie. I had a blue suit, white shirt, red tie. I wore the uniform. I did not stand out. There was no point of distinction. But I was doing what I should do, and I think that this is what is the great problem with leadership. We look at leaders and we go, this is what I'm supposed to be, instead of saying, this is who I am. One of the things that makes you stand out, Joshua, is the reason that you were introduced to me is because my friend said, I had him on my show. He doesn't do leadership the way other people do leadership. He's not teaching from the way other people teach leadership. He's like you. He's radical. He's different. He's approaching it from a different, completely different matrix. I think you should talk to him. If you immediately then go start trading that to look like the other dinglings that were doing it, who the hell's going to remember you? So it's like understanding we live in a world, a sea of people doing stuff, and you have to have a point of differentiation. If that's manufactured, that's going to be a problem. Definitely people will see your bullshit a mile away. But asking yourself, who are you at the deepest level? My work is in helping people to come back to their core purpose, their what I call the sole purpose. When you get to that part of yourself, then what you bring forward is completely authentic, and it has a point of differentiation by its very nature. Let's see. How do I put this? I began at the beginning, like everybody else, because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had grown up, you know, there's the phrase, a nice guy, yes. you know, capital N, capital G. It's like, I try to be nice to people. I put people up on pedestals and things like that. I hadn't expressed myself so fully to that time. So like no one ever said, there was never an occasion like you talked about for me. And my way of getting to authenticity was to do lots and lots and lots of presentations where I died these deaths. And each time I was like, well, that didn't work. That didn't. And each time 
I think of like I have shells around yep. me and I got rid of the shell after shell after shell after shell after shell. And actually, sometimes I bring people into inner shells. And Absolutely. for me, it was a lot of rehearsal, 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 practice, practice, practice. And each time brought out a little bit more. That was like my path because right. I didn't know people would say, be yourself. And I was like, from one perspective, there was no nothing else I, I could do. What else could I do but be myself? And the other thing was, I don't know who that is anymore. I've just been so much. Such a ridiculous statement. Be yourself. Well, who the hell else would I be? But the question is not in being yourself. It's in looking at. Do you know yourself? And that's that most people know themselves at the level they know. If you're in the pool at three feet facing the shallow end, how deep is the pool? It's three feet. That's all (laughs) you know. The fact that there's actually 12 feet behind you, 12 feet depth behind you, is not even part of your consciousness. Are you willing to go into that deeper level? That deeper level is the exploration of who we are as human beings, finding out what it is that truly matters to us, finding out what it is that we stand for, finding out what it is we, what is the hill we're willing to die on, finding out what it is we're willing to fight against and what it is that we're willing to fight for. Those are the things that reveal us. Now, how do people find that out who don't? I mean, people can come to you for coaching and I haven't gotten coaching from you, but I'm listening. to you. I'm like, I, you could help me a lot. Sure. And, and I work with people like you. They're very successful. They're doing great things, but they go to that place and go, I know there's a deeper level of me and I want to get to that. I want to find that purpose piece. So, yeah, that is it. That's the driver. But it's not there for everybody, Joshua. It's not. Yeah, that's the thing is. Uh, so if someone's listening, they're like, I want to do it, but I'm scared. Fantastic. That's like a good starting point. That's like. Oh, it's a fabulous starting point because the point that you are scared means you already recognize you're holding on to something that's not the truth, but you're looking for something that is. And the scared is if I let go of what's familiar, what happens? There's this void between what I know and what I want. Mm -hmm. And that void is a terrifying place. So if you feel scared, that for me is like, that's exciting. Like, okay, by the way, uh, according to brain chemistry, there's a one molecule difference between terrified and excited. One molecule. That's all. It- yeah, I've heard that a doctor, given your vital statistics, can't tell the difference between anxiety and excitement. No, nope. that's it's purely mental. Your palms may be sweating, your pulse may be faster. Right. But medically speaking, or physically speaking, it's the same. Same stuff. And so, if you learn how to shift one to the other, that's like you can turn fear into excitement or anxiety into excitement. Yeah, and that's state management, which is part of what we are able to do with people is help them to have state management, shift the state from one place to another so that you can actually turn that fear into excitement. So now someone's living and they're saying, okay, I'm facing the shallow end. I'm scared. I feel fear. Now, Dove says that's great. That means that's something to be excited about. Yeah. But I haven't been that deep and I feel like I might drown. Now, you're not going to drown. But what does happen? I mean, I'm listening to you. I'm like, wow, that's like living uninhibited, freely, like you and me talking. I love the depth of of friendship that we get very quickly. And in most of my life, I was not open to that. So I really like it. And I always want more. Right. Some people are like, I haven't taken the first step yet. What do they have to look forward to? Why should they take on this fear? Because maybe it doesn't pan out. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from their perspective, they might think it won't pan out. I think it will. Sure. If they put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. So why should they? There is no should. Don't should yourself. It won't help. Stop shooting on yourself. Stop shooting on others. It doesn't help. But what you have to ask is this. A, do you have success? And most of us have something that we can label as success. But do you have significance? And the significance is so you can have impact. And do you have purpose so you can have fulfillment? 
if you want fulfillment, you've got to have purpose. So if that matters to you, which it doesn't for everybody, then you go, that's what I'm aspiring to. See, for me, I'm always aspiring to making a greater difference, having a greater impact so that I can have the level of fulfillment that comes to me. But I can't do that unless I honor my purpose. I have to honor that purpose. So why it's wonderful for me is because on the shittiest day, I can still say I had impact. I can still go a walk to Starbucks and know that I can impact at least three people just walking to Starbucks. And maybe the only impact I have is that as crappy as I might be feeling, I can smile at that person genuinely and watch their eyes light up. Is it a fair conclusion to that fear that you have felt enough times, and maybe it was only once, and maybe that was enough, that fear that you felt, you now associate that with the purpose that it leads you to discover or that it's hiding. And now for you, it's like, oh, fear, great. That means more purpose. That's a great question. And I think that that is entirely subjective. So for some people, fear is just another way of saying stop. And I think that fear is a very appropriate feeling, but it doesn't have a single conclusion. So sometimes fear should mean stop. If you're standing on the edge of the cliff and you feel fear, mm -hmm. yeah, it should mean stop. If you're standing on the edge of a metaphorical cliff and you're about to fly, then don't stop. The question is, though, do you really want to fly? Because if you don't really want to fly, you're just going to stay frozen on the cliff. And so what are you willing to ask for? What do you want? This is what I got to ask you listening as you're here right now. What do you really want? Like, I know you say you want a penthouse apartment in Manhattan. I know you say you want a Bentley. I know you say you want a whatever it is. You want to buy the wife a new set of tits. Maybe you want a new set of tits. But what do you actually want? What are they for? Yeah, what do you want? Because What's the meaning behind them? Yeah, all those things are taking you somewhere. And very often, most often, they're not taking you anywhere you actually want to go to. And so what I'm about is the depth of who you are, what it is you want at a soulful level. See, I believe this. We go into business, we go into leadership to reconcile our soul, to bring home the disenfranchised, the compartmentalized parts of ourselves that it was not okay to be. Just like me when I spoke and, and I was authentic and it was wonderful, and then I completely fractured and disenfranchised myself, and it took me another four or five years to bring myself back to a place I already knew how to be in, uh -huh. which is insane. I mean, it's nuts, right? But that's what we do. The social conditioning is on us. But it created a hunger in me, and this is the key. It's the hunger, not just the fear, because you, what you've got is a conflicting notion between fear and hunger. If you have fear without hunger, you're going to stay stuck. Mm -hmm. If you have hunger without fear, there doesn't seem to be any obstacle, and the hunger will fade fast. So you have to have both of those things. So it's like, I am so hungry for this and I'm terrified, but I have got to get to this place. I'm going to die if I don't. I feel like I'm dying inside if I don't do this, if I don't break through this. And it kills me. It kills me that I'm not being all those things that I can be for the people that I love, for the difference that I can make. Oh, my God. And people go, oh, but Dove, we're not as, we're not as big as you. We're not as grandiose as you. Bull Every single one of you came to this planet, came with a reason, with a purpose, and it wasn't to die at the end of your life by fading away quietly in your sleep. It was to come to a screeching halt, knowing that you've made impact. Now, your impact may not be on stage with a thousand people. Your impact might be in the grocery store. Your impact might be in the amazing human being you can be while you knit 
I don't know. It's not about grandiosity. It is about soulful desire to fulfill the purpose that I came here to do. And that makes me weep. That's in everybody. 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 Most people are not fulfilling this. Most people don't even know about it because they're so socially conditioned. They, quote, live in the matrix. And so they keep recycling the bullshit. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. And so everybody listening right now is like, there's a part of them that says, yes, Dove is saying something that I know to be true, definitely about myself. And they're also saying, but I'm scared, or hopefully they're saying they can contact you. I mean, actually, I want to get in a second, like, how do they contact you and things like that? And how do they follow up? But I hear your passion is to help people find that, draw it out, build on it, and ultimately become what's already in them now. And they know that it's there. Yeah. You know, like I said, leadership, business, they're about, they're ways for us to reconcile our soul. There are ways for us to fulfill that. We just, that's just the vehicle you're using. That's fabulous. I'm totally encouraging you to do that. But if you do it for its own sake and you don't do it to reconcile those parts of yourself, to, to bring home that disenfranchised part of yourself, it'll never be satisfying. There's always be another place you're trying to get to. And so it becomes externalized. And we call it the three circles of hell. And not the seven, but the three. And the first circle uh-huh. is, is about accumulation. I'm not good enough. So I've got to accumulate more. So I'll go out in the world and I'll get a car and I'll get a house and I'll get you know, all the, that stuff. And the problem with it is it works. It satiates us momentarily. It feels good. And we go, oh, it's worn off. So I've got to go after another goal, a bigger goal. And it will last longer, but it doesn't. So that's the first, the first circle of hell in, in that it's so dissatisfying. The second circle of hell is why people become workshop junkies because they go, oh, that stuff has not worked. I I don't feel whole, um, even though I've got a Bentley and a big house. So what I've got to do is I got there's clearly something wrong with me. I got to go to work on me. And so they take the workshops, they do the development, you know, they do therapy. And I'm encouraging people to do all those things. Please do all that. I'm supportive of that. But what they end up with is recycling that and going, see, I'm still fucked up. There's still something wrong with me. You know, what is it? There's something missing. So they go, well, this workshop stuff doesn't work. Obviously, that's bogus. And so what they do now is they go the other way. And so what they do is they recycle back into collecting stuff again and go, well, at least I wasn't because now I'm actually more miserable because I've discovered my crap and I can't do anything about it. And so they recycle those first two circles over and over until they Mm -hmm. enter the third circle. And the third circle is the third circle of hell, but it's also the the first circle of heaven. Uh And it's the third circle of hell because it's terrifying because it's not about accumulating. It's not about anything you can get. It's about everything you can give up. And it's not talking about being some Zen monk on, on the mountaintop. You can still live in a, in a penthouse in Manhattan. But it's about like, there's nothing to accumulate. So if it's nothing to accumulate, what is it? It's coming back to the fact that I'm already whole. What if you were already whole? And what if you could remember that? Then what would be the gift you would bring? Because none of us entered the planet. I mean, think about this. This is, this is one of my... Favorite analogies of this. I want you to imagine for a moment the day you were born. As you're listening to this, just picture that day. And for not for everybody, but for most of us, 
the greatest majority of us, somebody held you in their arms. It might have been your mom, it might have been your dad, it might have been your grandparent, it might have been a relative, it might have been a doctor or a nurse, but somebody looked at you in the moment you were born and they held you in their hand and you fit into the length of their arm with your head in their palm and they looked at you in your fuzzy little eyes and they said to you, you're a miracle. Now, they may not have said it out loud, but they may have thought it. You're a miracle. They didn't look at you and go, there's something missing. You're not quite whole. They went, you are a miracle. You were born whole and complete. And you spent the rest of your life thinking you weren't. My job is to get you back to that place so you can find out where you came here. When you're in that place, then you're on fire. Well, I <laughs> I don't know what to say now. <laughs> I feel like I Not where you thought we were going, I guess. Yeah, I don't I mean, I'm amazed. I thank you very much for sharing that. And uh I guess a couple of things come to mind. One is if someone wants more of this, what do they should they just read your book? Should they contact you? You can contact me as you know. I speak all over the world, but I also work privately one on one to coach uh, leaders who want to go to that next level, who want to get to, as I said, significance and fulfillment through purpose. So they, you can write to me directly. My email is very simple. It's dov at dovbaron.com, dovbaron.com. And people think I'm crazy for giving up my private email, but I do it. And I'm even going to give you my phone number. It's 778-379-7517. 778-379-7517. You can call me. It's my office. I probably won't pick it up, but I will get the message and I will respond to you. If you email me, Email me. You know what? I, I want to challenge everybody right now. Joshua goes out, finds great people for his podcast to talk to and gives his time and his guest time to you as a gift. Do something back. Go on iTunes, rate, review and subscribe to the show. That's number one. Number two, write to Joshua and thank him for taking the time to bring on the guests and take the time to do all the things he does to make this happen. And write to me and tell me what you got out of this. If I pissed you off, that's okay. If I irritated you, that's okay. If I inspired you, that's okay. If I made you shake in your boots, but you know this is what you've got to do. If you want more of this and you really want to get this, call me, write to me, tell us, tell me, tell Joshua what you got out of it. Otherwise, it's just stuff in your head and you'll go, oh, that was really powerful. And then Monday will come. And what will happen on Monday? You'll have to take the kids to school. You'll, you'll have to wipe the baby's ass. You'll have to deal with the fires that are going on in the office and you will forget about your soul. But you've got to remember that that's where the fulfillment is. I'm even more speechless now. I'm trying to figure out if you're more vulnerable, more generous, more eloquent. Thank you for sharing. I was partly thinking, so say someone does this, what comes out? And I think you are what comes out. Of course, you for you, mm -hmm. others for others. And they're not going to turn into you. They're going to turn into their version. Yeah. You know, that's a very interesting because I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine in New York this morning about that. And we were talking about what do people get? And I said, you know, it's very difficult because we like to put things in categories and boxes and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, it, it happens. People work with me. It's not unusual for their business to go through the roof. One of my clients, we were having this discussion two days ago, and he said, he and I have been working together now for 11 years. So he's been my client for 11 years, ongoingly. That was mm -hmm. not my plan, but he, that's what he wants to do. Uh, his business has grown 5,000%. Not five, not 50, not 500, 5,000%. And in the first six months, his business grew 500%. And we were having this conversation in the end of six months, and he goes, do you know how much my business has grown? And so I said, yeah, you told me. And he goes, yeah, he goes, 
but we've not discussed business once. And uh-huh. I said, that's true. And he goes, why do you think my business has grown so much? I said, because your mistake is most people's mistake is you think your business is not you. When you work on you and you get that clarity and you are coming from purpose in every conversation, in every interaction, when you reveal yourself, when you tell people the, the struggles you've gone through and that if you can do it, they can see that they can do it. They want to do business with you. They're magnetized to you. And that's what happens. And I will tell you now, I have been through more than you could possibly imagine. I do not come at this from an academic point of view. I do not come at this from I was born lucky. I was born in abject poverty. Surrounded by violence, crime, and addiction. That's where I was born. I was married at 16 years old. That was, people go, oh my God, you know what? We didn't, we weren't pregnant. That was a choice. I took my mother to court and won so that I could get married. That was a choice. It was a pure act of rebellion. I was divorced at 21. I lasted five years. Most people don't last at five years if they get married at 40. Why did we fail? People say, because you were young. No, because we were doing the same crap everybody else does. So I had to go through a divorce to learn how to do healthy relationships. I was terrible at relationships, awful, completely destructive in all of my relationships. I've been close to bankruptcy twice. I've done things so wrong and so badly and screwed up and felt and gone through deep, dark depression and felt suicidal. deeply suicidal. I've been on the biggest stages and served the greatest people and walked up those stages and seriously thought about how I could kill myself. I know the dark side. I know it very well. And to be in this place where my heart and soul is on fire, that all transformed from coming back to purpose by transforming into purpose, getting my ego out of the way and revealing the struggle. Because listen, you look at my life, you look at Joshua and you go, wow, I wish I was like those guys. Listen, everybody's life looks gorgeous in a podcast. Everybody's life looks gorgeous on Facebook. It's glamorous. But there's a slog to that. And the slog is doesn't need to be in the world. It's like dig in, find you. Because as Joseph Campbell said, the cave in which you fear to step into for its darkness is the cave which holds your treasure. And that cave is you. Looking into that cave is where you'll find the greatest treasure and you will be impacted. You will be changed and transformed and transmuted and you will change, transform and transmute those you interact with. And it sounds like it also takes everything that led up to it and makes it all it all makes sense. And in, in everything that you took, everything that was awesome and horrible and everything, the times you wanted to jump off a bridge, the times that you felt elated and all of it came together into what you are now. Yeah, there's no... None of it was wasted time, it feels like. Yeah, you know, and in fairness to people with depression, because I said I had some very dark depression, it feels like the best solution is to end it. And the only thing that would keep me going is that when things were good, I would make myself remember how good this is right now, whatever this moment is. And I would make myself also remember, so right next to it, how shitty I felt in the past. And I'd say, I could not have this delicious moment if I'd have taken that out. So next time I was feeling shitty, I'd go, yeah, but you remember, there's something joyous out there that I don't even know, can't visualize, can't even imagine. But it is out there. And if I can just get through this, I can get to that next delicious moment. But that's not a way to live. That's a way to stop. But then going, what is it? What is it that drags me into this darkness? And what drags you into that darkness is those first two circles of hell, which is feeling like I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. That 
inherent, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'm somehow defective until you get to that third place of, no, I'm whole. And not from some bullshit mindset thing. You know, we talk about leadership and mindset. And a lot of that's just new ways of saying positive thinking. It's crap. It's actually getting connected to your heart and your soul and being willing to share that, that vulnerability of saying, I am so uncomfortable right now. This is what's going on for me. Can I tell you one more story of that? Yeah, please. It was 2008, so not that long ago. You remember what happened in 2008 to the world? Oh, yeah, I assume you're talking about economically, financially. Exactly. It was economic crash. Yeah. And I had this amazing guy working with me. I loved him to bits. He was a fabulous guy, did amazing work. He was my marketer. And he was like, you know, we got to put a product together and get it out there. It was a physical product world, and we got to get it out there. Okay. So we created this whole process, and I invested everything I had to do that financially. Everything. I mean, went against everything and, and did it. But he was a marvelous marketer, so I knew he could make it, and I believed in that. And it was a phenomenal product. And the week it was released, CNN announced we are in a global recession. And people went like that and shut their purses and shut their wallets and freaked the hell out and sure as hell weren't buying anything. And I had storage lockers filled with this product. And I was like, oh, crap. I've paid everything for this. I have some debt with it, but I have no income coming in from it. And I just fell into this depressive moment. Now, I was already on purpose, so just get me clear. But the depression of that, the devastation of that was very obvious. And I felt, I didn't feel suicidal, but I felt very dark and very depressed. And I thought, I began to question, maybe I'm in the wrong place. Maybe this is a sign, and I'm always willing to look at that. Is this a sign that I'm off my path? So I began to consider that. The very next morning, I had a scheduled event. It was called First Access. These were events that I used to do where I would sit in the front of a university room, you know. Like a theater, an auditorium. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of like a town hall where I would sit there and I would, for two days, I would answer any question you want. Mm-hmm. Anything. You could ask me anything you wanted. And so we get questions about reincarnation because I'd done all my, as you know, I traveled the world to study with all these great masters. And so I'd get questions about reincarnation, about conspiracy theory, about alien ships. But I'd also get about relationship and love and money and consciousness and wonderful conversations about the depth of leadership, what leadership is. And I had these amazing conversations. And I had to go do this. I had to be totally present for this event. And I got to this event feeling devastated. I had to go because I have integrity because that's what I committed to do. And I sat in my car in the car park and I wept and I just went, I've got nothing. I have nothing left. I've got no energy. I've got no fuel in the tank. But I had commitment. So I went and I sat in the front of the room and I told them, I said, here's what happened. And I said, and I'm in just a really place. People cried. People opened up. People shared their stories, shared their struggles. The lineup of people at the end for people to tell me how I touched their lives by sharing that vulnerability. By the end of that day, I was at the top of my game again. I felt better than I'd ever felt. By the way, I sold $100,000 worth of product that day when I was in my brain bankrupt the day before, but it transformed everything. That vulnerability is so powerful, but we are so terrified of it because we fear we'll be rejected. But we all need to know that we're not alone. We all need to know that we're not the only one on this journey. And you're coming back to your purpose and finding that and operating from that and presenting that allows others to see there is something over the horizon and it's my soul. So you're right. People 
will ask, well, what do I get? Yeah, their businesses will grow and everything, but what you get is you get the pure, authentic. You know, that's a word that's thrown around and it doesn't mean much, but you get the pure, authentic, purposeful self that is you that will get you up in the morning on a day, that will get you more present in your relationships than you've ever been, that will have you be a parent like you've dreamed of being, that you have you be the partner that you really want to be. I don't go to sleep at night anytime, ever, whether I'm here or away, and I don't wake up any morning without both of those times thanking my wife for choosing to marry me. She's a gift to me every single day. That's not positive thinking. That's the truth. I can talk about my wife right now. It happens every time. I've been 20 years with her. I'm more in love with her than the day I married her. She's a greater blessing to me than anything in my life. Every day I'm grateful for her. And because of that, every day I'm curious. And this is one of the things that happens when people are purposeful. We're deeply curious. We want to know more. People who are not connected to that, they've already got the answers. Their life is flat. The curiosity disappears. When you tap into that curiosity, the life becomes this amazing place to live. I'm always curious. I want to know more. I'm excited to get to discover more about Joshua and find out what drives him, what's underneath the hood and what's at his heart and his soul and what is his struggles and what is his dreams and what is it that sets him on fire. I'm curious about that. I'm still curious about that with my wife 20 years in. Thank you again for sharing what you're sharing. And so much of what you're saying is so the opposite of what others say. And yet you can hear it and you're like, this is right. Thank you. That stuff was like, I can try really hard. And maybe if I take this seminar and whatever, I'll get there. But you, it's just like, oh yeah, of course. Why was I distracted from looking at it that way? I want to ask you, all right, you just talked about your wife in that relationship of 20 years. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about this, I couldn't help but think about something from me, two months old, this podcast. People who are listening to this will, if they've listened to a bunch of episodes, they'll hear me say every now and then, actually, I was talking to someone a little while ago when I said for the first time, I believe that what we need is, I'm glad we have an Elon Musk. I'm glad we have Al Gore. I think we need a, a Nelson Mandela, a Vakaf Havel, a Martin Luther King of the environment, someone to, to lead people. And I'm, if someone can do it better than me, great, but I don't see it happening. And so I'm going to do it. I am, and it's taken me a long time. I'm doing it right now that I'm not saying it and I'm trying to like, I'm going to be, or I am the Martin Luther King of the environment. And it's, I think it's what's necessary. And I think it, it matches what I do in leadership and all the passion that got me teaching leadership and, and challenging myself and growing. And it brings in something from long time ago, my science background, the PhD in physics, also a deep passion that I was just kind of, I thought maybe I was done with that for life. And now it's bringing it all together. And I'm thinking if I'm at the pool, Maybe I'm not looking at the shallow end, but I don't think I've yet looked at the deep end. I'm, I, I know it's there. I'm kind of like like a crab walking sideways instead of going in. So <laughs> That's a great uh, analogy. Any advice? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I want to applaud you genuinely because you spoke about that on my podcast about wanting, you know, that the world needs a Martin Luther King, a Gandhi of the environment. You know, and you and I talked about the, the visionaries of the environment are the Elon Musk of the world who... I mean, the guy gave away his patents for electric cars at a business level. That's stupid to do. Mm. But at a level of that he wants the world to be a cleaner place is amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, that is outstanding. And again, full tip of the hat to that boy. But that you want to be that. The first my first thing to say to you is, what does it mean to you? You know, you say, I'm willing to be that until somebody else can come along, fine. But what does it mean to you? What what does that, and this is for you and anybody listening. When you say I want to be, 
What does it mean to you? Because that's what counts. I went through these changes in my personal life. And you probably heard me say it before, but, you know, the big two are stopping eating packaged food and stopping flying. And it sounds like negative, but these have become the best things in my life. Just before I came on with you, a friend was visiting from out of town. Normally, we go to a cafe or bar or restaurant and it would be loud and whatever. And no, it's coming into my home and it's having my food that I made. And this was like, you know, totally from scratch from farmers that in a few weeks I'm going to the farm. It's like one of the highlights of my summer. Right. And I'd never seen broccoli growing before. I've never seen eggplants growing before. Right. And you know what? There's a video. Oh God, I keep having to put this up. It was me hanging out with Marshall Goldsmith. I was talking to him for a few hours. And at one point in the way that Marshall Goldsmith does is he just digs into you, but he says it very nicely. And he's like, Josh, in the whole time that we've been here, you have said one thing that like all these awesome things, one thing that made you vulnerable, that made you human. And it was, I'm afraid of the words. I forget the exact words. But it's like, I'm afraid people won't like my cooking. Mm-hmm. And he picked up on this one. The one vulnerability that I expressed was like, I, I was getting good at cooking my style. It's not, I didn't take any lessons right. and other people might not like it, but I was afraid of having people over. And I was like, that's a vulnerability that I got to work on. And it's become this huge passion. I love like, did I invite you over for, for, did I say I would make you stew when we talked before? You did. Okay. Yeah. So this is like, you know what? You said it. I'm doing it. Anyone who's listening to this, if you're around New York City, you want to come to New York City, get in touch with me. Fuck. I'll do it too. 917-309-5674. I don't have people answering the phone for me though. <laughs> anyway, if you make the schedules work out, I'll make you some uh, of my famous vegetable stew. And thank you, Dove, for inspiring me. And I use the term inspiration to mean change behavior, not just a feeling. In any case, I answering your question of what it means is this is really one of the best things in my life. Two of the best things. It sounds like it's not doing X, not doing Y, but it is what is more important than food? It literally becomes you. And travel is like, yeah, it's great. I like seeing other places. I like visiting other cultures. That's not out there. And if you think it's out there, you're depriving yourself of what you can do for yourself. And that's what this is about. The way the, the world got this way is that people believing that it's out there, people believing that they've just, people born today have bought into this way of looking at the world that it's not how you have to look at it. And it doesn't reward you in the way that, like in my case, delicious food from a farm nearby that's like, you figure out how to do it. And for me, it's food. For me, it was location, not the opposite of travel is community, local, like the where you are, the people yep. around you, neighborhood. And for others, it'll be different things. But that discovery, it's very easy to go your whole life and never challenge yourself because everyone, I could be wrong on this, but I think that everyone wants clean air and clean water. And if you value that and you're polluting the water and you're polluting the air, whether you want to or not, whether you mean to or not, you are not living consistently with your values. And I think that eats you up inside, whether you know it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not. And this is the opposite of that. Yes, you're going to go through a struggle of, I went through a struggle like I, for a while. I was didn't know what to do with my time because I, w- I wanted to travel and I had to say no to certain, you know, I was invited to these really cool conferences and I couldn't go. And I had some really bland food for a good six months to a year because right. I didn't know what to do. I go to the store. I'm like, can't buy that. Got to buy that. Broccoli, steamed, salt and pepper. Once or twice, great. Six months, <laughs> not so great. But then you realize, oh, the broccoli actually tastes pretty good with the, the lentils. And, you know, salt was okay, but if I put that other spice in it, it tastes even better. And next thing you know, people are like, I never tasted anything like this. Where'd you do this? I was like, I just put it together. Exactly. And that's what I want for people is like, 
for them to create their own worlds of joy and discovery and things like that based on their values that right now it's so easy to say, you know, I got friends and they, I've talked about this on other episodes. They eat Domino's pizza in Manhattan and all right, have your pizza. Like I don't even want pizza because I like just the vegetables. Right. All right. So get your pizza, but Domino's it's, <laughs> I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they, they just like it more, but I feel like maybe they're just not, they haven't challenged themselves to find out what more. Well, you know, you said something that I found very interesting and I think is important for people to get. And you said about living, you know, out of alignment with their values, but values exist on different levels. And this is important for everybody to understand. There's, you know, let's do this simple exercise for a moment. You know, if I was in front of the room, I would have people, I would say, how many of you know of a fitness program that, that would probably work for you? Right. Everybody in the room knows everyone. Yeah. And then I say, now, how many of you are doing it? No one isn't enough. So, and I'll say, now, let me ask you another question. How many of you believe that it's important, that it's of value to be healthy? Everybody puts their hand up. Now, you all put your hand up. You all know there's an exercise program. You all put your hand up and said that it's of value, it's important to you, yet 20% of you are doing it. How do you bring that home? How do you reconcile that? And the answer is because there's the, the value is what I think I should value versus what I actually value. And what you actually value is what you do. What you do so don't yeah. tell me you value family when you never spend any time with your family. Don't tell me you value the environment when you like you go to the supermarket and you buy things that come in packages. Don't tell me that you value nutrition when you're buying Domino's pizza. And fine, I have not, I'm not here to judge any of it. I don't care. Personally, it's your life. I honor your choices. You want to eat packet food. I have family members. That's all they eat. You want to eat food from packages. You want to eat big production pizza. Fantastic. Go for it. But don't bullshit yourself or, and certainly don't try and me by telling me your values. Your values are demonstrated by how you live. As um, I think it was an American president who said that your actions scream far louder than your words. Mm. You know, you've got to pay attention to that. So that's when you learn to go and you shut up. You get stum, as as Jews like to say, you get <laughs> stum about it because speak it if you can live it. Speak it if you're aspiring to live it. You don't have to be perfect. Like, I'm sure you're not perfect in your environmental behavior, <laughs> but you yeah. are actively doing it. Every single day doing something towards that. That is personal leadership. There is no leadership of another until you can do personal leadership. Many of the shittiest leaders in the world have massive titles and they're awful because they can't demonstrate leadership by how they live. This is what it takes. So your values are exactly the same thing. How are you demonstrating that? If you say, I'm all about family and you're out screwing hookers on the weekend, and working 90 hours a week, that's not family. That's an aspirational value. So get the difference between your behavioral values and your aspirational values, and then your purpose values, which are a whole different level, whole different level again. All right, so now I'm going to leave it here for listeners, as this is now all teaser, find out more about Dove. <laughs> <laughs> I presume we were just scratching the surface. Cool. Uh, but now I want to talk to you about the environment. Yeah. And so you agree to this. It's not just a leadership podcast. It's leadership in the environment. Absolutely. And what is the environment to you? Is it a big deal? Is it a little deal? Do you think about it a lot? I do think about it a lot. I think about it a lot. And I am a weird individual in that I am willing to consider the other argument, that I'm not willing to be 
absolute about it. So when they say the climate change is not due to man-made gases, I go, okay, I'm willing to listen. Tell me that. Tell me about that. And every now and then I hear someone and go, hmm, that's interesting. Now, I understand solar flares. I do understand how they work. And I understand that the planet has gone through climate change many times before. I understand that the planet has actually been eradicated by climate way before we arrived and that the sedimentary traces will show us that the planet has been wiped out at least four times. That's interesting to look at that from a geographic, a geological physics point of view. Very interesting. However, I love the argument, and that it's very simple. That is, what if the environmentalists are wrong? What will happen to the planet? Versus what if they're right and we don't do anything? Mm -hmm. See, if the environmentalists are completely wrong and they're full of then <laughs> what's going to happen to the planet? Maybe nothing. But if they're absolutely right and you guys do nothing, so for me, it's always that for me, everything is a relationship. And this is why the environment bothers me. We human beings are in relationship with each other. We're in a relationship with our close environment, meaning our family and stuff. But we're also in, in relationship with this thing called the planet we live on. And we're in relationship with that. And for me, I can pretty much many years ago, I put out a challenge to somebody and I said, uh, it was actually a bunch of leaders. And I said, give me. 20 minutes in your house, and I'll tell you everything you need to know about yourself. And they're like, yeah, what about? I said, honestly, 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes unrestricted to wander through your house. Mm -hmm. And if I can wander through your house for 20 minutes, I'll tell you everything you need to know about yourself. I'll tell you what you care about, what you value. I'll tell you everything you need to know. And because we build an environment that is a reflection of who we are, not who we want to be, not the aspirational values, but who we actually are. That's what it is. That's what it's going to reveal to us. And so when I think about the environment, I think about this relationship. So I want to know, for me, it's vitally important to have symbiotic relationship with everybody. In my interaction with you, I'm here to serve today and I want to serve you. But I also know there's a symbiosis to this that I hope that we both come out of it better and that others benefit from it. And so if I'm going to have a relationship with the planet that I live on, I want it to not, it, it can't be for me, for me, it can't be one of take. It has to be symbiosis. It has to be where both of us gain from it. So my passion is gardening. People don't know that about me. I love gardening. I live in a townhouse in a city center. Like literally my building is a 26 story building. I live in a townhouse and everybody on the strata talks about my garden. People stop and talk about my garden. I have a small huh? garden but I grow herbs and even some veggies, but I grow flowers and it's beautiful. And it's like, it's a little bit of my contribution. Yes, I get tons out of it, but every day I go out and I do a little bit of thing in the garden with the watering and the deadheading to have that relationship. So to me, environment is relationship. Are you in an abusive relationship with the planet? If you are, consider it from the point of abuse. Do you want to be an abusive person in relationship with Gaia, with this female form that we live on? I don't. So that's all it is to me. It's like, oh, okay. And do I screw up? Of course I do, just like I do in my other relationships. But then I can catch that. I can do something about that. So when I suggested to you, or I mean, you read the, the overview of the um, podcast. Sure. And so I'm going to invite you to take on a personal challenge. For you, that would be improving a relationship with Gaia. 
Yeah, it's about improving my relationship with Gaia. But improving it means being respectful, being respectful. So I thought about the challenge because I knew it was coming. Uh Okay, and the challenge is to drive no more than 100 kilometers because I'm in Canada to drive Uh no more than 100 kilometers in my we have two cars. We have my wife's vehicle, which is the Costco vehicle. That's what we call it Uh because you can throw in the back of it. It's a small car. It's actually a very small car that does like 60 to the gallon. It's a small car. It's the one we use. But my car is my car because it was my dream car from when I was a kid. It's a Jack. I love driving my Jack. Is it a convertible? No, it's not. Man, some of those beautiful ones from like not a current model, right? The current ones look like. It's a current model, yeah, but it's an XF. Okay. But it's a beautiful vehicle. I love the E-Type. Yeah. But, you know, it's a disaster. To drive, uh-huh. <laughs> the E-Type was, uh, somebody described, oh, a madman, they described the E-Type as your mistress. You never know the mood it will be in. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's an XF. And it's a luxury car. It was a car I always dreamed of having. And I don't drive it for anything to do with status. It was just a dream car for me. But when I thought about this, I went, okay, what's my challenge? And my challenge is that I will not drive it more than 100 kilometers in a month. All right. That, and that's going to be a big challenge because I, I hear the passion for this car. Like it's. Yeah, I, and I'm not a car guy. I mean, people rave about vehicles and Ferraris. I, I don't care. I don't care because I don't care about status or any of those things. But th- this is something I enjoy driving. But I know it's kind of bitchy towards Gaia, right? So, yeah, is it pleasurable to me? Yes. But if something's pleasurable to me but abusive to another, that's not pleasurable to me. That's living by your values. Yeah. It's examining. I have a value, but if there's another value, it's a higher value. I really look forward to how this turns out. I ask myself if those hundred kilometers will, if you'll have more joy, more of what you get out of the relationship with the car with it, the small amount or that you would have gotten had you driven 10 times that amount. I'm curious. Only time will tell. And that is part of my presupposition for this. The law of familiarity says that we tend to take things for granted the more familiar we are with them. So maybe I'll appreciate it even more. So I'm now looking at my calendar. Do you want to do this? You said per month. Do you mean per one? Do you want to do that for one month or do you want to do it longer? I want to schedule the next time that we that we follow up. Sure, we can schedule whenever you like. I'm going to take this on for a month and then see what happens at the end of that month. For me, setting a goal like this is what I always call the test phase. I've done this with all kinds of personal disciplines in my life. There's a mm-hmm. test phase. So there was a test phase where I started eating in a certain way. And then I went, why the hell would I not eat this way? And now it's how I eat. Yeah. Right? So by giving myself a test phase, I, there's also that part of my brain that goes, well, if I don't like it, I can stop and go back to the old way. But very often it changes the behavior. So and there's going to be a month for sure. And there may be much longer. Then let's do it in one month. And we might have a third one after that. Sure. So I'm looking at today's August 18th. I'm looking at September 19th, September 20th, September 21st. Okay, let's have a look. So September 22nd is a Friday for us. Yeah. I can do it then. Okay. I have a couple things booked, but... You tell me what works. That day's... I've actually got quite a bit of flexibility that day. Is 9 a.m. Eastern too early for you? No, 9 a.m. Eastern is... I could do 10 or 11 also, if that's better. Yeah, let's do... If you give me 11, that's 8 a.m. for me. Okay. So I will send you a calendar invitation after we finish. Absolutely. So Dove on Joshua's show on the 22nd. We are on for that, my man. Awesome. We are on. I will, and I will look forward to it. Me too. And running through my head of like what the possibilities are that I think are going to happen. But it's really the, the discovery that I think is more interesting. And uh, 
Actually, can I ask you a favor? Can you email me the odometer readout? I will do that. That's cool. I, yeah, I'm kind of curious. I will go take a photograph of it and I will, uh, I'll send it to you. I wonder if you're going to come back and be like, yeah, I just sat in the car in my garage for a little bit, just uh, sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling the engineering. Get my Jag fixed. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to cover before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, unless you've got something you want to ask me, and I'm certainly fine with anything you want to ask me. Uh, as you know, I'm kind of a no holes barred guy, so as I've shown, if there's any, I will any- take up because I'm curious. I didn't hear a specific advice that I could do with you know with me taking on this identity yeah. and putting it out to the world. Because when I first said it, I was like, "Who do you think you are?" Right. And I thought everyone else would be that way, but no one else has been that way. And I'm, I'm having it's like I feel like I'm I got a new suit that I'm not comfortable in yet. Right. So let me give you something right now. And this, you know, because I said, what does it mean to you? That's the first step. Okay. And I would put that to anybody. So I want you to think about what you want to be in the world and then ask yourself, what does that mean to me? And by the way, whatever answer you get. So the first answer is, what have you got, Joshua, for the first answer? Sharing these joys, sharing that, like the, what nature brings to you. It's about empathy and compassion and other people. And it's, and it's coming from, the sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you ask, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? So you do five whys. Uh-huh. So five whys. So here's what it means. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Dig down. Find the depth of it. That'll help you to find your fire about what it is. Okay. Then ask yourself this question. What is it that could make me give this up? What is it that could challenge me so hard that it would make me give it up? It's silent now because I'm writing this down. <laughs> not that it's not being recorded anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is it? So five whys. And then what is it that could make me give it up? Yeah. And I'm going to do these. You didn't say in what medium, but I'll do this as written. Yep. So write it down, dig into them, get a bit deeper in them. And then ask yourself this. If I did this, if so in your case, if I was the Gandhi of the environment, and they would never know my name, they being the world, what would be the one change that would be my legacy? What one change would be my legacy? Mm-hmm. You mean how would I do things if they didn't know my name? Yeah, so they don't know. If they didn't know, not what one change would I do as a result of them not knowing me. You mean the effect that I had on the world? Exactly. What would it be even though it didn't, people didn't know it was me? So even though nobody knew it was you, right? So if nobody ever knew your name, but you had left the legacy of this one change, what would be that one change? Okay. So I want to say like, then what, but I'm going to do those three things and see where that takes me and yep. do the, have that experience first. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to close on that and people can look at my blog to see what I've come up with because I'll write this stuff. Fabulous. Post it. Dove, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. I don't know what more to say. Actually, one thing, because we opened just that raw opening, normally and podcasts, you stop recording and then you talk a little bit. Sure. But I want to give everyone who's listening everything. So when we hang up, it'll actually be hanging up. We may email in between, but um, the next time I'll talk to you is going to be in just slightly over a month. And I get to hear about the 100 kilometers or less. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I'll say the same to you as I say to everybody else, which is if you want to continue this for yourself and look at how to get deeper with this, you know, like you were saying about, you know, this could be very useful to you. Feel free to reach out to me. Same offer as I make to everybody else. Reach out to me. We can work out how we can work together and really get you to that place. Because obviously you're on fire with this and I think it's important. I really do. I believe it's important. And I want to say this to you and to everybody as a finishing is this. You do not get your dreams by mistake. They are your heart and your soul crying out for fulfillment. 
They're your heart and soul crying out to be fulfilled. They're not fantasy. They're not, you know, you, you want to dismiss them. They're not by accident. It's your heart and soul crying out for those things to be fulfilled. And if that matters to you, not as a aspirational value, but as a real value, then reach out to me. Let's do some work together. Let's transform you. I'm going to leave it at that. I can't say I can't add to that. And so just once again, thank you. And I will talk to you again in a month. Thank you, my friend. It's an honor. Cheers. Bye. Bye. He felt great. He savored the opportunity. He's glad that he did it. It improved his life. This is not what most people expect when they think about doing something for the environment. Earlier guests had to struggle to get through things. He enjoyed this process. It was a challenge, but he had a greater realization of the value of something and acting on it, especially freedom. His consideration of getting rid of a car took this podcast for me to a new level. I'm releasing it before other conversations are recorded after because earlier guests, they do things like getting mugs instead of disposable coffee cups or not eating meat for a little while. These are great challenges to start off with. Getting rid of a car is a pretty serious consideration. It told me that this podcast has the potential to change things on a significantly bigger scale than I thought of before. And for that, I owe Dove a big debt of gratitude because now I'm seeing that potential for serious change. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.